Thanks again, guys. So, if you were, weren't quite in here yet, Kobe and Carly's house was struck by lightning. Um, and the lightning melted a water pipe, which is ironic because it put the fire out or something like that. And then the house is now flooded. So, um, we'll talk a little bit more about how we can help with that at the end of the service. So that happens last night. I get the message about 10 o'clock. Um, and so, of course, um, Kobe calls and says, look, I, there's just no way I can be there. And I said, man, I know. I, it's okay. We got it. And so we put a little something on Facebook, and then the team gets here this morning. And, and man, I just can't thank you guys enough for, for doing that and leading us this morning. Um, and then this morning, I'm putting my sermon notes into uh, Proclaim like I do every week. That's the software that we use to present. And, I, and it's not on my computer. It, it was there last night. I used it. And, and then this morning, it, it can't be found. Um, and so I get to church, and I think it's no big deal. I'll just do it when I get to the church. Well, Ben and Anna get here, and they said, well, Proclaim's gone off the computer. Apparently, there was a bug in the software uh, with their latest update, which removed the software, which is not uh, ideal, to say the least. So I called Faith Life, and they're like, oh, yeah, it was a bug. Just go re-download it, and Ben had already started that process. So I'm saying all that to say that the enemy is working really hard this morning to prevent this message from happening. Um, I love that, I, obviously I did not know that the Norman's house was going to be struck by lightning, um, but God has a very specific word for us this morning about his provision, his protection, and his peace. And so I'm excited to, to share that with you this morning. I want to, to just take a moment to kind of recap on what we've talked about through this study, um, and then also just last week specifically. I want to remind you um, of the word hevel that we see so often. Um, which has the, the meaning or the understanding of temporary, of, of breath, of meaningless, of things being brief. And Kerry told me this morning, he said, when I first saw your post, he said, I almost responded in all caps, it's Hevel. And he's right, it is, that this moment for the Normans is just temporary. It won't be long uh, and things will be back to, to normal. Also, we need to, it's important for us to remember that this Hebrew word hevel also is the same word that's used for the name Abel. And so when we hear this word, um, we're going to talk specifically about this part of the meaning today is that often, um, just like in the story of Cain and Abel, those that, that should receive uh, the, the gifts of the righteous uh, do not. They receive the gifts of the wicked, and the wicked receive the gifts of the righteous. So it's important for us to remember that. And today, specifically in verses 10 and 14 in, our, in chapter 8, you're going to see it translated as futile. And so when you see the word futile, I want you to remember that it's this word hevel that has a lot of meaning behind it. Last week, we talked specifically about how God gives us earthly leadership so that we can grow. Right, and I, and I made a mention in my prayer this morning that we talked specifically about how all of us, because the Spirit of God lives in us when we give our lives to Christ, all of us have a call and all of us have a responsibility to fill. And what a, a beautiful way for that to be exhibited this morning and for one of our leaders to need to be out to take care of his family and his home uh, and, and believers in our body step up and fill those roles. And again, thank you to you guys. We talked about the fact that God is the ultimate authority in our lives, that he's the one that has the final say-so, and our text is going to point back to that again this morning. And then lastly, we talked about that the time to say yes to God's leadership is now, that it's not for some time in the future when you're quote-unquote ready, but God is, when the Spirit comes in you, when he speaks that it's time to move, the time is then because he has spoken it. And God's directive for all of our believers, for all believers, is to be first a disciple 
but then also a disciple maker. And in our minds often, there's a big gap between those two things. We think, well, I need to sit under the Lord's leadership for a certain amount of time. And typically we put a time frame on that or we say until we're quote unquote ready. But my challenge to you is, is that when the Holy Spirit indwells in you, because we know that the works that the Lord does are not our works, that you already have everything you need. Jesus very quickly, after calling his disciples to him, sent them out in ministry. They weren't ready by any standards, but the Lord sent them out because he was with them and that's all that they needed. And the same is true for us, okay? So this is not just a task for those that are advanced in their faith, but from the moment that you give your life to Christ, you are prepared and you're ready. You have something to share and that something is the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you, okay? And that's our role. That's what's from the Holy Spirit. That's exactly how Jesus described his ministry. Remember, he said, I don't do things on my own accord, but I do only what the Father tells me, right? And that's the example that we're following, that we're not going out and trying to do works because we think it's a good idea, but we're abiding in the Father, and He's speaking, and we're doing what He says, okay? So today we're going to finish up chapter 8 with a word on how we are to respond to uh, injustices and suffering that we face in our life, which again, how appropriate for today. So read with me um, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to go through verse 10 and we'll, we'll hit the first verse of chapter 9. So let's read this text together this morning and then we'll start breaking it down. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile. Because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with a a desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well for the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get the actions of, that the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get the actions that the righteous deserve. I say this too is futile. So I commend enjoyment, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him here under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night. I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he's unable to discover it. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know what to expect, whether love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. So we started this study looking at the story of Cain and Abel. And just a brief recap, they're the sons of Adam and Eve, right? And Cain presents an offering to the Lord that is not acceptable. It doesn't give us a reason why, but it just says it was not acceptable. And Abel presents one that is acceptable. And Cain, out of jealousy, kills his brother Abel. And instead of Abel having the long, good life that you would expect from a person that's pleasing in the Lord, his life has ended very quickly and very tragically. Cain, however, is, is marked by God, and out of fear of losing his life, he asks God to protect him, and God does. And so Cain, the wicked, the murderer, gets a long life, all of the things that we would expect Abel to receive. 
And so we need to keep that in mind today as we, as we look at this story. And, and I want us to know that most of us are going to experience something like this in our lives. It may not be to a level of murder, but there are going to be times in our lives where due to actions of our own or no actions of our own, we're going to receive a reward that doesn't match our actions. And so what do we do with that? Our text is going to, going to explain that today. All of us are going to experience injustice and suffering in varying degrees over the course of our lives. And the goal today is for us to hear the words of the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, and to learn how to respond to injustice in a way that is beneficial. We can respond in a lot of ways, but only some are beneficial. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I want to start this morning by sharing a story uh, of a young man that's been in my life for for a number of years. Um, And I have felt from the, from the, very first time that we got to spend any amount of time together, that the Lord was going to use me in his life in some way. I didn't know when or how, but I could just, I could feel it. This week um, became the week for that, the week where I got that kind of an opportunity. And I want to share his story today as a bit of a case study for the text that we're looking at. This young man, um, from the day he was born, has had a hard life. And you might hear it say that the, the deck was stacked against him from the day of his birth. Um, he is 19 years old and he's only met his, or he's only spoken to his father twice and both times were on the phone. And from the way he described that to me, both of them were very underwhelming. Um, he is one of six children and their family lives very far underneath the poverty line. Okay. And so life for them is very different than life for me as it's, it's a struggle day to day. Uh, as a young man, he is doing everything that he knows how to do to get his life straightened out. He just recently, um, he has had a part-time job, got a little money in his pocket, and so he went and rented, his, rented an apartment, and uh, some of his siblings are living with him. He's got a girlfriend who has a son, and he's taken over the father role for that little boy. Um, and so he is, his goal, and he and I have had a lot of conversations about this, his goal is to, to be in a place where he can take care of his family, right? He wants to be for this little boy what he never had in his life. But because of the life or the, the, the way he was born, the circumstances in which he was born, this has been a very, very difficult process for him. Um, he's been struggling for quite a while to get a full-time job, to have benefits, you know, the things that, that adults need in order to be able to take care of themselves and take care of their families. Um, and this week, and I've known this, but, and I've asked the Lord, I've prayed and asked when and how and all of those things, and the Lord has not opened the door for that. Well, this week, the Lord opened the door for it. Um, My counterpart at Petron, where I work, um, he and I were kind of passing each other on a Friday evening, and he stopped me, and he said, man, you know anybody that wants to work? He said, I need some. He said, they don't have to know anything. I just need a young man that's willing to work hard. And immediately, the Lord brought this young man to my mind. And I said, yes, I've got a guy. Let me see what it's going to take to get him. So I began making calls, trying to figure out how to make this happen. And there are some other professionals, some of which are in our body, that are helping him try to get uh, all of his paperwork figured out. And one of the issues uh, is that he doesn't have or he doesn't know his Social Security number. And as most of you know, if you've ever gotten a full-time job, that's something that you have to have in order to be employable. Um, And so um, other people are working with him, trying to get that information and, and what really confirmed it for me is my boss, the owner of the company, came to me, and I didn't even know he knew about this young man, and he said, what will it take for us, and by us he meant Petron, to be able to help him to get this job, okay? That was the Holy Spirit, because I had not talked to my boss about this young man in a long, long time. 
Okay, but I, in that moment when Steve asked me, I knew the Spirit was saying it's time to help. So I went and found the young man, and we tried doing his getting a Social Security card. Couldn't get it done because you have to have a birth certificate. Also, uh, Social Security office is closed right now. So even if you had all your paperwork, you can't go to the office and get it. You have to mail it, and it takes a couple of weeks for it to come back. Well, he didn't have an original copy of his birth certificate so we got to figure that out so there's just a lot of steps and so we've started that process and he has a long way to go but we're working those problems to help him figure it out I share this because my guess is that most of the people in this room have not had that level of struggle in their life or that level of struggle just to get their first full-time job there are many reasons that this young man is in this situation, but the point is, is that he is stuck right where he is until someone who knows how to help him can help him. If he knew how to get out of that problem himself, he would have done it already. He's living in injustice. He has suffered through life, and he doesn't know how to get out. That's why God has placed a community of believers in his life to help him. And the question is, is a question that I've asked, a question that we all need to ask when we face suffering and injustice is, God, how do I help and when do I help? The preacher's telling us in our passage today, there's a lot of people in this world that are going to experience injustice. We're going to go through times in our, our lives where things just aren't fair. And we need to know how to respond. So the first point I want to make today is that we respond to injustice and suffering with faith and trust in God's justice. There's a lot that we can do to help people. Many of us in, our, in, in this building have resources and knowledge that can help people around us. But we always need to start by asking God what we're supposed to do. We'll address this later in the passage, but I want you to hear me say that all of our actions, whether it's helping ourselves or helping others, always needs to be prompted by the Holy Spirit, not just uh, us wanting to do something good for others, okay? There's a couple of things that we need to remember, a couple of important truths as we begin to help people. And the first is one that we've talked a lot about, and that's that God's timing is not like our timing. We've talked about this before, that we live within the frame of time, and God does not. And so what may be feeling like a lifetime or may actually literally be a lifetime for us is just a fleeting moment for God. And so while we're in that process of waiting, when we're wanting to help someone and it seems like, man, it's going to be weeks before anything happens, we need to remember that God's timing is not like ours. And just because we want it to happen right now doesn't mean that it's going to. Often God, or not often, God will always wait until all the pieces are in place, till everything's ready in order for him to act. Often in our lack of understanding, we want things to happen quickly. We think, man, if I can just do this and this and this, everything will get better for this person. But there's going to be times when God allows us to see a person that's struggling, and instead of us just jumping in and trying to fix their problems, we need to allow time for the Holy Spirit to seek. Oswald Chambers um, says it this way. I, I read this years ago, and it stuck with me. He says, are we playing the part of an amateur providence, trying to play God's role in the lives of others? Are we so noisy in our instruction of other people that God cannot get near them? Oswald is trying to help us understand that just because we see a problem does not mean that we are supposed to fix it. Sometimes we are, but sometimes the struggle is good. Whether the troubles that life throw are our own way or, or for us or for those we love, we need to realize that God is aware of what's happening in our lives and the lives of people around us. And he is working even if we can't see it. 
jumping to save the day is not always the answer. To point back to our case study, many of us have seen the issues in this young man's life. Many of you know him. But it wasn't until this week that God gave me the go-ahead to start doing some things to help this young man. I don't know the reasons behind that, and I'll probably never know the reasons behind it. But I need to trust the fact that God is working, that God sees this young man's life just like I do, but in a much better way. He has a better perspective because he is higher than we are. I've tried before to help this young man and God shut me down. I don't know why, but someone or some part of what God was doing wasn't ready yet. And rather than me just being frustrated with the process, I need to trust that the Lord is working. There's suffering and injustice all around us and God has a plan to use each of us as believers in some way. Rather than us trying to figure it out, we need to ask God what to do and then we need to trust in the answer that he gives us. We also need to realize that how God handles it may look very different from the way that we would handle it. I don't know if you've experienced that before. You have a problem in your life and you make a plan and your plan doesn't work out and then God deals with the problem and you go, wow, that was a lot smarter than what I was going to do. If that hasn't happened for you, it will. In verse 10 today, we see these words, in such circumstances. And that's a key phrase. This phrase is used in only one other place in all of Scripture. And it's in the book of Esther, which I find interesting that our sister church in Wardville is starting this morning with a study of the book of Esther. But we're going to read verse 16 out of chapter 4 of Esther. And this uh, uh, is happening, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you some frame around this, but let's read it first. It says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found. This is Queen Esther speaking. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, um, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. To give you some context for this passage, Esther has been chosen by King Xerxes as his new wife. So she is made queen of Persia. The previous wife that he had did something that displeased Xerxes, and so he dismissed her, did away with her, and replaced her with Queen Esther, okay? And you need to know that to understand the boldness that Queen Esther is exhibiting here. This is not just a wife going to her husband to give her opinion. You need to understand that the previous queen didn't respond the way Xerxes wanted her to respond, and so he removed her from his kingdom. So for Esther to say, even if it's against the law, if I die, I die, she knows what she's walking into. She knows the price that is going to be paid for her to speak out. One of King Xerxes' advisors is plotting to kill a man named Mordecai that was Esther's uncle and who had also raised her. Haman, the plotter, doesn't just want to kill Mordecai, though. He hates Mordecai, and Mordecai is a Jew, and so he's, his plan is to kill all Jews, of which Esther is one. And so her goal is to protect her people. She hears of the plot, and how does she respond? She goes and gathers up all of her fellow believers, and she says, pray and fast with me. She begins with prayer. She's willing to give her life to save her people, but at the end of the day, she starts with prayer and fasting. And so we need to see, this is another truth we need to understand about responding to suffering and injustice is that we respond as a community to the injustice that we see. That it's not us as lone rangers, but it is us as a body of believers that respond to injustice and suffering. 
Esther was ready to give her life for her people, but God was faithful to prepare Xerxes' heart before she arrived. It was not permissible for her to simply enter the presence of Xerxes. Even his wife had to be summoned by him. If he didn't point his staff at her, then she was not allowed to come in. But she wanted to save her people, and time was running short. So she prepared, after praying, to go into his presence without the invitation. But upon entering the courtyard, Xerxes sees her and calls him to herself, and she's able to plead her case before the king and save her people. God was working, and he caused Xerxes to see Esther and to call him to herself. It's a great story. If you, I, I really encourage you to go and read it. But to shorten all this, the king grants her request. He, sa- he saves Israel, and he puts Haman to the death that he was plotting for the Jews. Point number two that I want to make today is that God will take care of those that are in right relationship with him. Let's read this next chunk of scripture, and then I'll explain what I mean by that. Look at uh, verse 12 through 15 in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It says, Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get the actions of the righteous. I say this too is futile. So I commend enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I say that God will take care of those that's in right relationship with him, I'm not defining that like culture would. Right? We live in a, in a pseudo-Christian culture that, that says, claim it and the Lord will give it to you. Right? I want a great job that makes a lot of money. If I just claim that in faith, the Lord will give it to me. That's not what we're talking about here. The author is not saying that we can claim something and God will take care of us. He's saying that those that are in right relationship with God will have God working in their lives and for their benefit. Living in a right relationship with God is an abiding relationship. It's about us. And we see this in Ecclesiastes. It talks about people who fear the Lord. And we've talked about what that means is a person that loves the Lord, that is listening to Him, that is abiding in Him, that is saying, God, here's what's happening in my life. How do I handle it? And then waiting for His response. And then when He responds, we obey by doing what He says. We've experienced God through relationship and in response, we are abiding to Him. God working in our lives doesn't mean that we won't have troubles. Rather, it means that we aren't facing those troubles alone. Kobe and Carly have incredible relationships with God. But lightning struck their house and now it's flooded. Just because they have a great relationship with God doesn't mean that nothing will ever happen. What it means is, is that God is with them in the midst of this suffering. That God has called us as a body of believers to be with them as they are suffering. Queen Esther wasn't experiencing, certainly was experiencing trouble, but she trusted God in the midst of it. God saved her and her people because she went to him. This young man in my life is living in difficulty, but God is working in his life through myself and through other believers for his benefit. A Christian life doesn't mean that everything is going to be simple. 
A Christian life means that when life goes crazy because we live in a sinful world, that God is with us, that other believers are there with us to walk through it with us. Becoming a believer doesn't mean that our troubles instantly disappear. God guides us through those troubles. And when in doing so, we learn to trust Him. That's the, the essence of faith. It's that as God speaks, we obey even though the outcome doesn't look like what we expect it to look like. But we trust Him and we do what He says and our faith is strengthened. Ask anybody in this building how difficulties have grown their life and they'll have a story to tell about God's goodness, about His provision, about His peace in times of trouble. I would encourage you to talk about those things at Life Group. As crazy it is that the Norman's house was struck by lightning, caught fire, and flooded at the same time, I cannot wait to see what God is going to use this for in their lives and in our lives. This is a significant time for them. And they're going to have stories to tell of God's goodness, of His protection, and His blessings. Because ultimately, it's God's desire for us to enjoy our life. Our passage speaks directly to that. The preacher says that there's nothing better than for us to, to, to eat and to drink and to enjoy the time that we have here on this earth. And it's God's desire, and we know that because God created us in His image for the purpose of living in a relationship with Him. And when we were created in the garden, what did God give them? What did God give Adam and Eve? All that they could eat, all the water that they could drink, and one another and God to have a relationship with. That's what we're created for. And even though sin entered the world in Adam, through Adam and Eve's disobedience, we still, because we are human, we long for food and for drink and for good company and for satisfying work. If we'll choose to live in obedience to God, He will provide all that we need to be able to enjoy those things. And our satisfaction will no longer be dependent upon what culture demands. Culture tells us we need all of these things in order to be happy. But when our focus is and our relationship is focused on Jesus, He becomes our satisfaction. He becomes the goal. He becomes the pride. God's presence in our life is the satisfaction that we long for, whether we realize it or not. The last point I want to make today is that we do not know what life holds for us. Therefore, we choose to trust God with our well-being. Let's look at verses 16 through 9, 1 again. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done under the earth, even those one's eyes do not close in, to, in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wife person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. In verse 16, the author is trying to help us to see that while he, the wisest person that ever lived, spent his whole life pursuing wisdom, he realizes that he still cannot understand God. That, that section that's in parentheses that says, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep, uh, in sleep day or night, what he's saying there is that it, didn't, it wouldn't matter if I was awake every day of my life and spent every moment trying to figure God out. I never would be able to. God is too big for us. And even if he was able to keep his eyes open day and night, he would still not be able to know 
all that God does or understand it. He's observed all that a person can see. He's explored the places that many cannot and seeks what others don't. And if the author of Ecclesiastes, if the wisest, richest man that ever lived can't find or see all that God's doing, what hope do we have of being able to figure it out? We have none. We say that we want to know God's will and we see what he's doing, but how hard do we apply ourselves to that end? In the end, it doesn't matter how hard we apply because we'll never get there. We can't know all. But we can ask specific questions. We shouldn't assume that we can, we can or do know all because in comparison to the author of Ecclesiastes, we've barely tried it all and we know nothing. The point that the author is trying to make is that he's worked his entire life to understand God's ways and came to the conclusion that no one can understand. And so that shouldn't be our goal. He concludes this thought, in, and this is why I included verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. He takes his whole wealth of wisdom, and he's concluded that all of work on earth is in God's hands, not in ours. Our desire to know the answers needs to be replaced with a desire to simply know God, not what he's doing. We can try to make plans for our lives, but we don't know what life holds In making plans, all we're doing is setting ourselves up for failure because instead of asking God and being obedient to what He's doing, we make up plans and then we try to execute those plans and then they don't work and we get frustrated. As I've said many times in the last few weeks, our lives are not our own. In asking Jesus to be the Lord of our life, we're asking to be... um, We're asking him to be the one to determine the course of our lives. We say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. We give it away. He's in control. When we're explaining that to our little ones, we say, we're asking Jesus to be the boss of our life, to be in charge of our life. And that's what we're asking for. And then after making that request, if we make plans outside of what God is saying or what God is doing, it's not going to make life easier. It's going to make it more difficult. Because we're stepping out of the leadership that we've asked for. We're trying to circumvent the God who created everything. And life's not going to feel more fulfilling because we do that, but less fulfilling because we've set our hearts on what will not satisfy us. I keep repeating this because we need to understand it. And we need to live like it, like Our lives are not our own. I want you to listen to this. This is a a devotional from Tozer that I read this morning. I want you to hear how timely this message is for us. And he references Matthew 22, 12 through 13 that says, So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Tozer says this, We have such a short time to prepare for such a long time. By that I mean we have now to prepare for then. We have an hour to prepare for eternity. To fail to prepare is to act uh, of moral folly. For anyone to have a day given to prepare, it is an act of inexcusable folly to let anything hinder that preparation. If we find ourselves in a spiritual rut, nothing in the world should hinder us. Nothing in this world is worth it. If we believe in eternity... 
If we believe in God, if we believe in the eternal existence of the soul, then there is nothing more important than to cause us to commit such an act of moral folly. Failing to get ready in time for eternity and failing to get ready now for the great then that lies out yonder is a trap in plain sight. There's an, old, an odd saying in the Old Testament, how useless to spread a net in full view of birds. That's Proverbs 1.17. When the man, God, man of God wrote that, he gave the birds a little credit. It would be silly for a bird watching me set the trap to conveniently fly down and get into it. Yet there are people doing it all the time. People who have, not, who have to live, people who have to live for eternity fall into the trap set for them in plain sight. He's saying that we're giving a brief time here on earth and the purpose of our time here on earth is to prepare us for eternity. And how, how crazy would it be to waste this brief time chasing things that do not last? In order for us to enjoy eternity, in order for us to enjoy God for eternity, it means in order to do that, we see in Scripture that we are to give our lives to Christ. And then when we give our lives to Christ, we're not to live for ourselves anymore, but to live for Him with the explicit purpose of sharing what we have discovered. And that's what we talked about over and over and over again is that God has revealed grace to us. God has revealed His Holy Spirit to us. God has showed us what it means to abide in Him. And our purpose as a body of believers is not to build up kingdoms for ourselves, but to build up the kingdom, the kingdom of God, to spend our lives sharing with people the goodness of God. Our purpose is that when our life is falling apart, just like the Normans is falling apart, then instead of wallowing in self-pity, we say, okay, God, you have my attention. What are you doing? Show me what I need to do. Tozer ends with this prayer. He says, And Lord, I have the message that will enable them to prepare. Give me a willingness, no, a passion to do my part in this urgent matter. Listen, the Lord is speaking into our lives right now. He has a mission for us all, and it's not to just live a comfortable life. Our call is to be disciples and be disciple makers. That is what the world needs. They need to know the love of God that we know. We're not special. We're just as sinful as everybody else around us. But we see God for who He is and others need to see that. Instead of us making plans, we need to ask God what He is planning. We need to make our lives about that, not about anything else. If we've done that, if we have centered our lives around Christ, then where we live, where we work, where we play, where we worship, none of that is inconsequential. That is of the utmost importance all of those things have very specific purposes and we need to be aware of that. If God's got me working at Petron, there's a reason for that. If God's got you in a job, there's a reason for that. If God's got you involved in a hobby, there's a reason for that. But if you haven't consulted God, you need to. Don't waste your time chasing things that don't matter. I love to play video games. I love it, but I don't. You know why? Because for me, they don't matter. I wasn't reaching anybody. I wasn't making disciples through that. It was about me. 
If God's placed you somewhere, it's because he plans to use you in a way that will have eternal results. No longer is your job simply about making money. No longer is your home just a place to live. No longer are your neighbors, your family, or your communities just happenstance. In every area of your life, God wants to work through you to change the world. Did you to hear me say that? God wants to use you to change the world. And the best part is it doesn't depend on what you can or cannot do. Because the work isn't yours. All God's asking us to do is be willing and able to say, yes, I will do whatever you ask me. And then get out of the way and let him do the work through us. The God who created this world with his voice, who spoke things into being, is living inside of us. And he is asking us to be an empty vessel that he can use to change people's lives. I can't think of anything that is, could be any more exciting than that. If we'll just get out of the way and stop trying to control everything. I beg of you, brothers and sisters, to ask God why you are where you are, why you're doing what you're doing. Is it because he's called you to it? If it is, fantastic. If he's not called you to it, ask him what he's asking you to do. Don't waste this life assuming that your presence here on earth doesn't matter because it does. Every person who walks this earth has a purpose and God is waiting to reveal it to us if we will just ask. There are no mistakes. There are no random accidents. Every person alive is loved by a living God and He desires for every one of us to know Him he desires us to know Him in a way that brings enjoyment and satisfaction in our lives. Enjoyment and satisfaction that only He can provide. This is our charge. We've talked about this from day one at this church. Our goal is to know Christ and to make Him known by experience. By walking through life through the hard times and through the bad and asking Jesus to tell us what's going on. And then share that with people. What's happening in Kobe and Carly's life is devastating. I've been there. My house flooded at Thanksgiving. And then it flooded again recently. But you know what? It's Hevel. You put a new floor in, and it's not a big deal. Does it cost you some money? Sure. But again, money is Hevel. It doesn't make the things any easier, but it does give us good perspective. And so I'm, I'm excited about what the Lord is going to do in our body and in the lives of Carly and Kobe. We have an opportunity to love that couple in a way that we've never had an opportunity before. We have an opportunity to walk through life with somebody that's suffering in a way that you may not have experienced before. And so my, my request is that you ask God, how and when are you to be involved? I'm going to give you some opportunities when we get done here in just a minute. But not just with Carly and Kobe. With everyone that's in your life, when you see injustice, when you see suffering, stop, pause, pray. Wherever you are, if you're driving, don't close your eyes, keep them open, but just ask the Lord, God, I see this thing happening in front of me, how should I respond? And then do what he says to do. And I promise you, you'll be amazed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your protection over the Normans. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in their life.
God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in the life of this young man that you have before me. Father, I ask for each and every one of us, Father, that we would be humbled enough to be able to stand before you and ask you how we should go about our lives, to ask you where we should spend our time, where we should spend our resources. Father, I know that it is is your goal to use us in mighty and powerful ways. God, I know that we want that too. But all too often we accept the lie that what the world has to offer is going to be more fun and more meaningful and more satisfying. And so, Father, I ask that you would wipe that lie from our minds. Father, you would help us see the reality that that what you have for us right now, the work that you have assigned us to, is of far more importance and value eternally than anything that we could ever accomplish here on earth. Father, help us to build up your kingdom and not our own. God, I'm so thankful for this church and for these brothers and sisters in Christ who share in common a desire to know you. Father, I ask that you would spur us. God, that you would give us even more desire to know you, to make you known with the people in our lives, the people that we work with, the people that we play with, the people that we do life with. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.